Welcome to the Grace at Last podcast. Here we hope you find freedom from religion and traditions passed down by man that God never intended for us to struggle with. Let's quit looking around us and begin to look within at God in us and realize all we need is already there. Together, guided by the Holy Spirit, let's learn what God really thinks of us and discover what is pleasing to Him. I think we're going to find out it's a whole lot easier than what we thought. Hi, Corrine here for episode 16 of our Grace at Last podcast. In our last episode, episode 15, we talked about if our message is a message motivated by fear or by love. What message are we spreading when we share the good news? You know, so much of what we share is simply by the way we live our lives and by the way we interact with the Lord. Are we teaching law or the grace of God by the way we live and by what we believe? You know, God doesn't want to lead us by rules or a book or a pastor or any other earthly source. You know, he wants to lead us by his spirit in us. And sin is not the problem. We seem to be fixated on sin. But Jesus took sin away. Sin has been removed. The real problem is is that we were dead. We were dead in our sin. And a dead person needs life. And that's what the new covenant is. It's Christ is one with you and I through the Holy Spirit living in us. We are one with Him. We are one with the Father. And if we look at John 17... It is one of the most incredible passages you could ever even comprehend. And John 17 has got to be one of the most unbelievable. I'm still trying to grasp it. I'm trying to understand and get a clue of what's happened in the new covenant. Do we get it? Do we see what he has done? Do we understand who is residing in us? And in John 17, Jesus is speaking, and, he, and it says that he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said to the Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. A couple of things I want to point out. In verse 3 of chapter 17, he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is not heaven. It's knowing Christ. It's not a length of life, like life has no end. Again, it's knowing Christ. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then he says in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of his disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them 
that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Is this incredible? This is Jesus speaking. Verse 25, O righteous Father, although the world has not known me, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Wow, that is the new covenant, right? That this is the Lord's prayer. This is the prayer that the Lord prayed for his disciples and all that would come to believe through their word, through the message of Christ. I think we should meditate on that prayer. It is an incredible truth that we are one with God. Jesus is asking the Father that we would be one with them as they are one with one another. Jesus says, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. He says that those that were given to him, that they would be together and again one with him and the Father. And that it happened, it was a plan before the foundation of the world. He says that, the way you love me, Father, is the way that we would love them and that they would know our love. And again, that is the new covenant. And I think we should think about that and pray that God would open up our understanding to the reality that we are one with God. We are one with him. He is one with us. We cannot fail. And unfortunately, in the modern day church, when we gather together, the teaching that's going out is not even mentioning this truth. We're taught the how-to with books and plans, but how much is being taught on the grace of God, the oneness that we have because of Christ? I think sometimes we fear losing control if we turn our congregation over to hearing God for themselves. What if they don't obey? What if they don't give? There's a lot of control and manipulation coming out of some of the pulpits, and they can sometimes even look at the congregation as sort of dumb sheep who need them to guide them, or we might even just fall right off that cliff, right? Sheep, dumbest animal of all, just putting the congregation down and thinking that they're our shepherd when we have a good shepherd. But all this man-made stuff that God never gave us the spiritual gifts to be used then some of the ways that they're being used, that wasn't his intention, like leadership, using it as a means of control and pastors and teachers that, you know, is just a breeding ground for abuse. And yet some see it not as a means of sharing the good news and they see it as a means of wealth and fame and they really do care very little about the real spiritual health of the people. It's about them and their agenda and how to get out of the people what they need to kind of keep their train in motion. Ask me how I know. <laughs> it's a corporation paying salaries and bills 
And it can become a challenge when it's not managed. And desperate people do strange things to meet needs when they're not trusting God. I believe sometimes that we place yokes on people and laws on people. We mix law and grace on a regular basis. And these are the things that was my experience in church anyway, until the summer of 2021, when God opened up my eyes to my own legalism and the traditions that I had adopted and that had overtaken my relationship with Christ. And not only had it negatively affected my relationship with Christ, but in all of my relationships, really. And God began to show me his word. He began to show me his truth through a different lens from the cross of Calvary forward and a perspective of really understanding the new covenant and putting scripture in its context. And I began to ask myself, are all these instructions really for me? Since I'm in the new covenant, am I required to keep the laws that all these teachers and pastors are telling me that I must keep? Paul says in Romans 11, if it's by grace, that it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace, it's no longer grace. And I think what he's saying is that if I try to mix law and grace, well, I don't think that's what he's saying. This is what he's saying. Grace is no longer grace. If I'm combining law and grace, it says that grace is no longer grace. In other words, grace has no worth. If I'm going to try to be right according to my obedience and my works and my faith, then it says that grace is no longer grace because I am coming to the Lord on the basis of my works. Paul also says in Galatians, he says, I am amazed, I'm astonished, I cannot believe it, that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, he says which is really no gospel at all. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Do we hear that? That's Galatians 1, 6 through 8. Wow. Paul was shocked. Why? because they so quickly made it about them. Paul said these teachers were perverting the gospel and to those who were preaching this message that they should be under God's curse. One translation says, eternally condemned. That's pretty serious stuff right there. Eternally condemned? Is he saying, I hope they go to hell? Wow. Later on in Galatians 3, Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the one thing that I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Paul calls these people foolish. He calls them fools. He says they're bewitched. Another translation I saw said, 
called it an evil spell. Clearly, they had seen Christ on the cross as the source of their salvation. But what happened? And then Paul starts asking them some questions, like some rhetorical questions, to get them to think. To think about, think about what you're doing, he's saying. You're adding to something that's already finished. And he says it was never by our behavior. Look at the cross. You saw it yourself. It was always by believing what you heard. Keep believing. Don't stray from the truth, the pure gospel, that it is finished because Christ finished it. I think Paul asks an important question in verse 5. He says, Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? You think some people are trying to get or maintain God's power and miracles by their obedience? They think it will earn them his favor and blessings? Maybe thinking giving their 10%? They don't lie. They don't covet. No adultery. The list goes on. Forgive everybody so that God will forgive me. And if I don't, he won't. And I'm going to get this all down right. And I know that God's going to be pleased. And thinking obedience to the law is a relationship with God. It's the obedience of Christ that gives us our inheritance. It's his work on the cross and the conquering of sin and death and the resurrection that gives me life. And that's how I am to live. That's how I get to live. It's not my obedience or my lack of it. That brings death. But the spirit, well, the spirit gives life. How about you? Are you in bondage? Maybe to a drug, a drink, held captive by your thoughts and disappointments in life? Are you angry because of something that's happened? Depressed? Maybe tormented? Judgmental and critical? Just continuously feeling condemned because you're so opinionated? (laughs) I believe the grace of God is our answer. Why? Because our behavior, well, it's not the focal point. His life is. His life in me becomes my realm. And the things of this world Well, they can be really difficult, but I can still be okay. Disappointments happen. People you thought were with you, they were your friend, they may turn their back on you. People will hurt us, and we will hurt others. And pain and suffering in this life, it's real. I'm not sticking my head in the sand. But in the midst of all of that, God's life in me and my life in Him, Well, that is what I want to think about because it's the really good news of what Christ has done. And so when I do look at Galatians 3, 5, and he says, does he who provides you with the spirit and work miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? We see that there are two different realms here. There is either the works of the law or hearing with faith. And mixing the two is evil, is what he says. And it causes one to be under a spell. That's why I want to point it out. That's why I want us to get this. Law and grace are opposite. They cannot be mixed. The law brings death and condemnation. And God's grace, well, it delivers us from that death and condemnation. In all of scripture, when law and grace are mentioned, they're never in harmony with one another. They're always contrasted. They're always different. Why? 
because the new replaced the old and it is better. The old covenant, again, is driven by fear. It's driven by conditions. There was never rest under the law. Always more to do. But the grace of God is so much better than the law. So let's talk about the grace of God for a minute. Let's look at some scriptures that, with that word grace and see what we can learn. And I looked at some of them and I love the one in Ephesians 1 verses 7 and 8 when Paul says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Wow, redemption and forgiveness are found in the blood of Christ in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It says he lavished it on us as a gift. It's ours, bought and paid for with the blood of Christ. And his grace is rich and it has done its job. I no longer need to add any more redemption or forgiveness. Why? Because he completed it and he sat down. And later in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So when our condition was dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. Christ took our death from us, and God put Christ's life in us. That was the real problem. Like I said earlier, we were dead. Forgiveness of our sins is not really the issue. Again, Jesus took sin away. A dead man doesn't need forgiveness. A dead man needs life. But sin needed to be removed. And again, Jesus did that. And it is by grace and grace alone that we have been saved. How does he save me? By his grace. He gives me his life. Christ forgave us our sins. He made us alive together with Christ. Again, by grace we have been saved. And why did God do this? Well, this verse tells us he did it because of his great love for us. That's why. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. By grace you have been saved. So again, Paul says it is through faith and it is by grace. And even this faith, it's not of ourselves. It's the faith of Christ. I'm saved by the faith and the obedience of Christ. Not the faith and obedience of myself. Not that which is of me. It's what he gives me as a gift. And this salvation and acceptance from God it's not going to be by anything that I do. Again, it is a gift from God. We cannot earn gifts or they're no longer a gift. So let's continue to look at this word grace some more. I used to think it was just kind of a salutation that Paul began his letters with in his introductions. But now it's my life. It's the promises of God fulfilled in his son, which I am an inheritor of. He's moved into my spirit. He has made me alive in Christ. And in Romans 5 verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also 
we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So we see that through Jesus we have peace with God, that by faith we have been introduced into grace and that we are to stand in that grace. So grace is not just how we are saved, it's how we live. If you look at the letter that Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, it says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But, here's our contrast, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow, being justified by his grace, we are made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Remember, eternal life is knowing God through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you look up that word grace, the Strong's Greek definition, you see this word charis, and the definition is favor, disposed to, inclined, favorable towards, leaning towards to share benefit. <laughs> it's almost always used in of the Lord's favor in our lives. It also says freely extended to give himself away to people because he is always leaning toward them. Isn't that incredible? Lord, his grace is him leaning into us, inclining toward us to give us his favor, to give us benefits, to share his benefits with us. It's not this pitiful unworthiness like, oh, woe is me, undeserved favor, but it's rather the goodness and it's the kindness of the Lord. And thinking of him and God leaning toward us with his kindness and his goodness his love and his grace, that's what we want to think of when we think of the grace of God. And instead, of, again, of grace reminding us of how unworthy we are, it can do the opposite. And it can help us to see the benefits that he has shared with us and the value in our lives and what Christ has done because of him and what we are in him and who he is in us. And again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, faith that is not even of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And it's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Wow, that is powerful. And I want to remind us again that it is by grace that we have been saved. But it's not only by grace that we have been saved, it is by grace that we are to live every single day. Titus 2.11, Paul tells us that it is by grace that we are to live. Verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, 
instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So we are saved by grace, and grace teaches us to live righteously and godly today. In this present age, Paul said, that means right now. That means today. So I'm saved by grace, and I live by grace. And are we fighting this truth? I find the body of Christ wants to fight this truth about God's grace in his son and that it really is finished and that all the necessary work to make us perfectly right with God has been accomplished. We can receive our inheritance. We can start spending it right now. We have an account with unlimited balance of God's favor, his power, his peace, and his rest. Don't we need rest? You can let go of your anger and you can trust God instead. You can let go of your sadness, disappointments. We can let go of our hopelessness. We can be filled up with hope instead. We can begin to look at life completely different, where we can't stop thanking God for doing for us what we could never have done for ourselves. He made us perfectly right with him. We cannot become righteous no matter how hard we try. It is only the righteousness of Christ. Christ took away my sin and he gave me his righteousness. He's given me the faith that I need. And now I am wired to live a life of faith by his grace. And sometimes when I hear people telling others, and I, you know, continuously watch the body of Christ putting people under laws and yokes and completely fail to even mention the gospel, the gospel of God's grace, it's difficult. When they're mixing law and grace, or at least trying to, but the reality is that it becomes all about them and their behavior and how well they're doing, and it's no longer about Jesus. It becomes about our performance, and Jesus is removed from the picture when he is the picture. And that is the truth of God's grace, and if we are fighting it, it is a losing battle. God is not going to change this plan. Until his son returns, this is the covenant that we are in, and it is beautiful. And it is a wonderful place to live. The eternal God, the rest, the promised land, our salvation, Christ in me, my hope of glory. Wow, what a beautiful picture it is when Jesus is front and center. I love that. Well, that's it for me today. That's it actually for this series as we contrasted law and grace. And I hope we see that it's impossible to bring our works into this new covenant of grace that Jesus has brought in and finished. We can rest. We can be confident. Everything, it's going to be okay. And I hope you join me next episode on episode 17 when we talk about this preoccupation that we have with confessing our sins. Is that what God is telling us to do? And if not, then what do I do when I sin? These things and more on our next Grace at Last podcast. 
Thank you so much for joining us today for our Grace at Last podcast. We hope you learned a truth that will set you free and keep you living in the it is finished promise Jesus declared at the cross. Go to lastministry.org to learn more about who we are and what we're all about as we share this incredible inheritance God has given us in His Son.